Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the dude. Hey, this is Chafel from Not 9 to 5, and you're listening to Hey Bartender Podcast. Hey, bartender. Yeah, you were right. Hessel. Hessel, welcome to Hey Bartender Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How's everything going today? It's pretty good. I am having a busy but yet productive day, and it's been a much better day than it has been in the last few weeks, so I'm really happy about that. Well, that's good. It took us a little while, uh, little while to finally get our schedules together uh, uh, because when I first started talking to your people on social media, there was a little bit of a scheduling conflict because we both worked during the day, and I totally appreciate you taking a couple hours uh, to sit and talk with me tonight. So why don't you take a minute uh, and tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. No problem. Um, yeah, no, thanks for having me. I am very grateful to be here, and... I am a hospitality industry veteran. I am born and raised out of Toronto, Ontario, in Canada. And I now run a nonprofit organization. I have a very complicated yet endearing relationship with restaurants and bars. It's, you know, kind of a love hate situation. We all um, <laughs> <laughs> But, but um, yeah, I'm just so excited to be able to talk to another, you know, person from the industry and connect over all the things that we, like I said, adore and can't stand. Sure. And uh, just to start things off, what's the name of the nonprofit or the nonprofit that you work for? Yeah. So I co-founded it actually, and now I'm the executive director of Not 9 to 5. And we are a nonprofit leader, global leader now. We're reaching into Europe and beyond. Um, nonprofit global leader in mental health advocacy for the hospitality sector. And this nonprofit really has been a love letter to my 20 year old self in a way. I, the whole time I've worked in hospitality since I was 17 years old, I struggled with my own experiences with mental illness and substance use challenges. And I found that there was no resources and support. So that's not nine to five. Oh, that's, uh, that's incredible. Cause I, I've talked to a number of bartenders and servers that we go home, we have this weight on our back, we might not know it, but, and other issues. This sounds great. We'll get into that a little bit later, but why don't we uh, start, well, at the beginning of every show, I like people who have, uh, who have been behind the bar to present a drink special. So well, if you would please uh, uh, give us a drink special for today. I love this. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. So I'm also, even though I'm born and raised in Canada, my parents are from Chile. So I always like to shout out anything to do with Chile 
because it is where my ancestors are from. And in Chile is a famous, um, very well-known um, spirit called Pisco. So if anyone doesn't know about Pisco, I mean, there's always these like controversial thoughts about, you know, is Pisco from Peru? Is Pisco from Chile? I'm a Chilena, so I'm going to tell you it's from Chile. You can ask a Peruvian, they're going to tell you it's from Peru. Regardless, Pisco is a delicious, uh, almost like similar to a brandy. That's how I kind of think of it. It's uh, kind of a yellow to amber colored. Sometimes it's colorless. You know, it's kind of similar to how you age tequila and it changes in color, kind of like that. And it's distilling fermented grape juice into a high proof spirit. Um, so the cocktail is Pisco Sour. Obviously, most of you must know a bit of whiskey sour. They're very, you know, popular and well-known. Pisco sour is similar to that, um, except that we use Pisco and very strong, usually made quite strong. So if you want to make it more traditional, I would say one and a half ounces. But if you want to make it more authentic, I would say push it to three ounces. Yeah, because they're really strong usually when you have them in South America. Um, you know, whether you order it in Lima, Peru, or you order it in Santiago, Chile. Um, but if it's too bougie for you, turn it down. Um, yeah, you combine the pisco, the lime, simple syrup, and egg white in a cocktail shaker without ice. You shake it because you want to get that egg white foamy. And, you know, 10 seconds or so, um, you can add ice to shaker, shake really hard, and then add the simple at the end. Again, I usually only use about a dash or so of simple, like three quarters of an ounce. But if you like it really sweet, add more. If you like it less sweet, add less. And one egg white, you know, and uh, one ounce or so of lemon juice. I traditionally make it with lemon juice. Some people like to make it with lime juice. It's up to you. So that's my cocktail recipe for you today. Well, that sounds incredible. The, uh, I'm uh, everybody on my show pretty much uh, that listens to my show pretty much knows I'm a lightweight. Uh, not because I think <laughs> drinking's bad for you. It's just I'm really bad at it. But uh, something like that sounds like it would put me on my butt just the, uh, opening the bottle. But uh, it sounds great. Well, what's the flavor like? Sweet? Oh, or? yeah. Um, so it's 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 sour and sweet. It's it's a little bit of both, and it's got. I like I like the flavor profile because of that sour and sweet. Um, I also don't like very sweet, so I usually put less simple um, than most people. And in terms of the booziness, like you could totally turn it down and make it like a low ABV kind of thing. You know, um, I would just play around with how much lemon or lime juice. Also, for um, more of a modern twist on it, I have been known to add a dash of bitters. Mm. Um, so either Angostura or, you know, something like that, um, that kind of adds a little bit more of like a, you know, complex flavor profile, but traditionally they don't use that, but I like to do that sometimes. Well, yeah, we got to add your own little twist to it and, you know, yeah. maybe uh, <laughs> change it from time to time, even if it's your own, yeah, just for fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well. Anybody tries that drink, uh, make sure to let us know. You can email me, dude, at Hey Bartender Podcast, or you can contact Hissel. We'll give you her information at the end of uh, at the end of the show and uh, where to uh, contact her and 
at not9to5.org, which we will talk about shortly. So uh, we're at the beginning of the show, so uh, let's start. It's easiest for me to start at your beginning. Now, uh, you said that you are a longtime veteran of the service industry. And so where did you start? (laughs) I started as a host. So I was 17 years old. I did not know what I was signing up for (laughs) when I got that job. (laughs) I was just really obsessed with food and restaurants. And I thought, well, if my job could be in a restaurant around food, I mean, that's like incredible. Mm -hmm. And, but I had no idea the kind of work environment that I was about to be exposed to. Um, So I started as a host, very quickly got promoted to be a server. Um, like I want to say was probably less than three months, um, very quickly promoted to be a server. And after being a server for about a year, I also started bartending, got into bartending, did that for a number of years. And then I kind of just dabbled back and forth from like bartending to serving, serving, bartending, sometimes both, right. Depending on where you work, um, bounced around tons of restaurants, but yeah, the first restaurant I ever worked in, the first role I ever did was in an Italian little place here in Toronto and I was a host. So, Very green. I didn't even know how to open a wine bottle. <laughs> oh yeah. So you, uh, how old were you when you started? 17. 17. Okay. You, you can, that's okay. You didn't know how to open a wine bottle at 17. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but so, uh, since you started out as a hostess, do you remember your first hard lesson as, uh, as a hostess? Or even oh. as you got to be a server. Oh yes. So speaking of opening a wine bottle, one of the one of the best lessons I learned at that restaurant was when my boss found out I didn't know how to open a wine bottle. Really? <laughs> because oh yeah, because she was she was just stunned and shocked. Like, what do you mean you don't know how to use a wine opener? I was not a clue how to use that thing. Seventeen, and she took me behind the bar and she said, "Okay, you're not going to work for the next part of your shift." And she took me and she made me open an entire case of wine an bottles. An entire case? <laughs> an entire case. Because she was like, I want you to learn how to do this. And the only way to learn is by doing it. And so, oh my gosh. I mean, that first, those first couple bottles, I was like sweating, you know, like almost crying. My heart was, I was like, I'm going to get fired. Mm. This is so hard. I think I even stabbed myself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like trying <laughs> you know, trying to do this, but I'm not going to lie. By the end of that case, I was fine. I, I'm a very quick learner. So if you give me a chance to try some, like put my hands on something and, and try something. I, I will. It's very rare that I don't pick it up somehow. Um, so, yeah, I that was a hard lesson I learned as a host. It's like when you admit that you don't know something and then you're thrown right into it. <laughs> like just at first. Well, it's good um, that the you know, that your boss actually took the time to teach you instead of uh, b- uh, berating you or anything like that. Uh, well, I don't know though. Did she teach me? She just gave me a case and told me to figure it out. Well, luckily, <laughs> you know was, what I mean. Luckily, it was an Italian restaurant. You weren't uh, just throwing away the wine after you were doing it. But oh yeah, no, no, no. It was going to get used anyways, so she was okay with it. Now, what kind of wine did did you use? Did you use the more traditional pull, or did you have the ones that where you got the you can get leverage on it and push up on it? Or those the second one. Oh, sorry about that noise. Okay. Um, yeah, the latter was the one I used, and it was sorry about that. 
Um, it was really hard to do at first. Like I said, I, I think I stabbed myself a little bit the first time. But then after that, I figured it out and it became much easier. I, um, I think she showed me one bottle. I take it back. I think she showed me the first bottle and then was like, okay, you're on your own. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right. A lot of training is usually missing in this industry. Yeah. Oftentimes you don't get any training at all. So right. I was lucky in that sense. You're right. Yeah. Uh, the first wine bottle that I remember opening when I first became a bartender, I thought, you know, I watched a lot of TV. I thought you were supposed to just uh, put the thing in and, pull but you know the pressure is too much and you can end up yeah. spilling or break the cork whatever and uh, yeah. but until my boss came over and uh showed me that you could use that silver part on the end as leverage to push up on it and i thought i thought was that was to open beer beer bottles oh okay that uh that's something i've never admitted on the show before so <laughs> oh i got a first timer <laughs> and i think that you know what that that learning that you finally get when you figure that out, that's the game changer moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was like, Oh, well, this is way easier. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, totally. instead of trying to muscle the, you know, from the pressure in the bottle and muscle the cork out. It, yeah. I. <laughs> it, it never works. And yeah. you're like putting it between your legs and you're like, you know, what, what's wrong with me? Why am I so weak? And then you're like, Oh, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It's in there. <laughs> uh, but did you uh, develop a rapport with that uh, particular manager? Did they help you out at all? Um, you know, so speaking of first time ever talking about this, I've never talked about this on an interview before, but that boss was my first boss in this industry. And it was a very complicated relationship. Um, she was, both wonderful and awful at the same time. Um, I can't say she was one or the other. She truly was both. She really cared, like, you know, wanting me to learn how to do something and so throwing me into it to learn. That was one nice thing. She was the one that promoted me to be a server. Mm. So, you know, when she saw potential in someone, she wanted you to keep going and she wanted to encourage you. And that's a great thing. Having said that, at the time, I didn't realize that later as I got older and I reflected back, I really came to understand that she crossed the line a lot mm. on things that were inappropriate in the workplace. Um, she was very flirty. So she was a um, lesbian and she would bring in all her friends that were also queer and they were all extremely flirtatious mm. to the point where it was like, not okay. You know, when I think back and I was 17, 18, um, they were like 40, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. they were in their late thirties. And it's funny because oftentimes when you hear about sexual harassment in the workplace, you think of it as a gender thing. Right. Right. In my situation, it was actually women doing it to a young woman, mm. which was me. And I think back and I'm like, it's no different though. It's the same behavior mm. that's inappropriate. And um, she crossed a lot of lines that she shouldn't have. And at the same time, um, really helped me and was super encouraging. So it was a very complicated, very much to my relationship with hospitality, very complicated. Yeah. When you first said that, I always uh, think back to a movie quote that I, uh, from, uh, that I saw a long time ago, one of my favorites, where the boss 
in the movie said, uh, your manager, if people don't hate you once in a while, you're doing something wrong. But you took that to a different uh, different level where uh, to the point of uh, se- actual sexual harassment. And, you know, truthfully, I wasn't prepared for that, but, uh, but I know it's, it's, but we're here to have honest dialogue, right? Right. And I appreciate you bringing that up because, uh, you know, that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. I mean, I have had people touch on it a little bit, but they're a little bit of a f- afraid to bring it up too much, bring too much detail into it. And, uh, but, uh, I'm sure that that's one of the services that you offer from, uh, for your, from your company, uh, that if something like that should happen, they have somebody to talk to. Right. Am I right? Well, yeah. And honestly, like my big thing is that I think what I've come to understand about anything like in life, that's hard to talk about is that that's something you need to talk about whenever, whenever it feels like, Oh, I can't go there. Oh, that's uncomfortable. That's probably exactly the thing mm. that you need to talk about. And I've learned from there's a really wonderful um, researcher and author named Brene Brown. I'm sure many of you have heard of her, but if you haven't, she has many books and she has incredible podcasts you can listen to. So Brene Brown researches shame. And what I learned about her, about shame, is that it can't survive being talked about. And once I learned about that, I was like, such a game changer for me, such an eye-opener that if you can talk about something aloud, it really destroys the shame attached to it. Yeah. Um, so that's really helped me. And yeah, I think like with Not 9 to 5, it's, it's very much shown me that also vulnerability is contagious. So if you are honest and talk about your authentic life experiences, emotional feelings, whatever it is, mental health challenges, whatever it is, um, it helps others do the same. So whenever I try, whenever I can, I try to be as honest as I can. If someone asks me a question, when you ask me about her, I mean, that's the first thing that comes up for me is how complicated that relationship was and how much I appreciated her and how much I also um, didn't appreciate her. So Thanks for holding space for that conversation. Yeah, um, that uh, that's uh, totally cool. And that's actually, uh, like you said, something new for the show that I've never brought in. And I appreciate you uh, opening up about it. Uh, uh, now, your, your company is the one that's supposed to open up. Well, I kind of treat this podcast <laughs> as if, uh, you know, I'm the bartender and you're talking to me. But because uh, bartenders, we receive a lot of people come and talk to us. It's almost traditional since the beginning of time. Uh, people come up to the bartender and talk about whatever's on their mind. And uh, did you, uh, during your, during your time as working in the service industry, your customers, uh, did you have uh, loyal customers that followed you around if they heard you worked somewhere else or whatever? Did they follow you quite a bit? I definitely had that as a server, um, and I definitely had that as an event producer as well. So after I got out of restaurants directly, I started doing a lot of food and culinary experience type events, Um, a lot of like intimate dinners and also like large scale food festival kind of things. Um, So 
all of that event production, I definitely built a following. (laughs) I had a lot of people that would come to my events over and over again. And yeah, I'm very familiar with having that, you know, customer loyalty, having that brand, you know, um, recognition in not nine to five is the first nonprofit I've ever run, but it's not the first business I ever started. So the first business I ever started was, um, like I said, a large scale event production, uh, very similar to a food festival. And we were very successful for three years. And when you have people come and, you know, seek you out as you're talking about, you know, they really look for you, ask for you or, or want to follow the work you're doing. Um, you learn so much because people open up to you and they share their feedback and you know, you're right. Especially as a bartender, sometimes you do have to learn how to listen and hold space to a lot of conversations that many of them you don't really want to be part of, but there you are. It's your job. Yeah. I heard in a TV show that sometimes uh, people will tell their bartenders what they won't tell their doctors. And right. I, I've, I've added, I've actually added on to that because, uh, uh, people will tell their bartender and their hairstylist what they won't tell their doctors. And, uh, because it's, uh, you know, they just open up and just decide to start talking and we're, uh, we're there to listen if we have the time. I mean, obviously like, uh, huge events, big clubs with loud thumping music, they, you know, you can't hear anything. Or when Definitely. The, when somebody's sitting under a hairdryer, there's nothing. There's no conversation to be had. But <laughs> but, uh, but in like the hole in the wall, mom and pop owned restaurants that I used to work at, it was very common that somebody would come up. Oh, I had a hard day at work, and mm-hmm. um, that almost made me feel like okay, the trust uh, the trust line has just been drawn, and I think uh, I think I'm allowed past it right now. Uh, they're, they're trusting me in, you know, hearing their life story. But um, did you have a moment like that where all of a sudden you felt like the customer was, they were treating you uh, better than just their server? You know, you were more friend or uh, higher than that. Yes, I definitely, I mean, if you have any kind of service job, whether that's retail, hairdresser, restaurant, you know, barista in a coffee shop, so I had so many of those. Um, I think you see it all when you work in service. Mm. So I think you see the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know? Um, and sometimes your customers become real good friends and they're people that are really close to you in your life. Um, not always, but it does happen. Mm. And yeah, I definitely have had so many experiences of, of all of the above, right? Of having people be extremely rude or extremely inappropriate having people really appreciate you and go above and beyond give you massive tips and you know all kinds of things like that um yeah i really feel like i've seen it all i think once you work in this industry for a number of years like i said if you're doing any kind of service job you get a taste for all of it Mm. like uh one time i decided uh to and not basically announced, but I told, told people I'm going on vacation <laughs> next week. And I, I decided it would be funny. I said, uh, I would like you all to know that all the, uh, all the tips tonight will be donated to a uh, local, like uh, Las Vegas casino. And, uh, one or two of my customers all of a sudden said, 
here's twenty dollars. Uh, uh, you know, have fun in Vegas. Or and I was just cool. In <laughs> and they're some of my more loyal customers that you know that had been with me for quite some time. Um, it's amazing. And uh, <laughs> and I've seen it happen for other people too. Like, uh, um, well, we had this gentleman guy was nice as can be, but he was older than Moses. And, uh, my coworker was about to take her son to Disney world for the first time. And so all of a sudden he tipped her $200 cash and told him, make sure your son has a great time. And I, and unfortunately he's long since passed away now, but uh, that was, I thought that was incredible. I was, I was like, people actually do that for your bartenders. <laughs> oh Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I definitely, I can't believe how far some people will go to show gratitude and those people really make it worth it when you get the opposite kind of experience with service. Right. Mm. Um, so, oh yeah, definitely. That's such a nice story. Um, so what other places you said you started off in an Italian restaurant, did you work in all sorts of different types of atmospheres. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, so I mean, very classic, very classic kind of hospitality experience. A lot of turnover rates, right? Oh, really sure. high turnover rates. I jumped around a lot, so I lasted there about a year and a half, and then I went straight to working in a bar where that was my first bartending job. I was about eighteen or nineteen, and oh. it was a small, dark and dingy place. Um, but I loved it. It was so much fun until it wasn't. Um, I was, I feel like I had the rose colored glasses on for a while of like, cause it felt like a social party experience, Sure. you know? And in the beginning, you know, like my manager, for example, had this ritual where he would say it's time for our staff meeting. And about every two to three hours, we would all duck behind the bar and shoot wild turkey Uh. (laughs) and that was our quote-unquote meeting staff Mm. meeting and i mean this went on every weekend um there was so much unaccounted for unpaid for alcohol (laughs) that we were consuming um but it was all being encouraged and led by the manager Mm. you know so again very complicated if you think about it, um, when you're 18, 19 years old, that seems really fun and really cool for a while. Mm. And then, you know, until it doesn't, until, you know, you're struggling with staying up till five in the morning and seeing the sunrise and being around all kinds of substances, you know? Mm. Um, and, and then you think back, like I think back now and realize like, wow, that was my manager. That was like the person in charge you know, that was supposed to, that sets the tone for the workplace. Mm. And um, yeah, so bartending was super fun and also super dangerous. Um, Also, when I think back, because as a young woman, you're out late and there's only so many different ways to get home once you're closing a bar. I mean, the bars last call 2 a.m. By the time you clean up and close, you're not out of there till 3.30. I know that one. You know, or... Right, exactly. <laughs> like I'm preaching to the choir here, obviously. <laughs> and so you know. Um, so yeah, I I definitely had a lot of eye opening experiences mm-hmm. <laughs> bartending at that second place. And then after that I jumped around to tons of other restaurants. The last restaurant I worked in full time was actually an amazing place. 
And it was actually one of the only restaurants I ever worked in that had so much focus on the employee experience. They really cared about their team. They really invested in workplace, um, you know, culture. And they also really cared about product knowledge. So we would get tons of like wine classes and cheese classes. We would go visit wineries. We would go visit, you know, farms. And and it actually made me an amazing, yeah, it was incredible. This place was amazing. And it made me a better server because I could speak to the menu in such an intimate way because I'd been to the farm, (laughs) you know, where all these products were from. Um, It was a very like farm to table kind of place, you know? Mm. I uh, I don't think I've any, heard of anything in that level. There was one restaurant where they wanted their servers to be ultimately familiar with the menu, but they actually mm-hmm. said what we are known for is our, our desserts. So here's mm-hmm. all of our desserts. Here's how you make them. Now taste it. Tell us what you thought of it. And my friend that worked there, she said something about uh, rum cake, chocolate-covered mm-hmm. rum cakes. I don't know. But she yeah. said, oh, that was so good, and I really shouldn't be driving right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that's a different story. That's <laughs> delicious. <laughs> sounds, I, I love rum and chocolate, so mm. that sounds delicious. But um, when it comes to safety, I talk about that a lot uh, on my show. Yes. Uh, Great. Because, you know, like you said, we are in a dangerous industry. We have two... Uh, two things that everybody wants. We've got cash behind the bar and we've got alcohol. And so things can be a great night. Every music's playing, everybody's smiling, laughing, and then it takes just one thing and then everything goes to hell. And, you know, one customer to call you a asshole or, uh, or, you know, just, a you know, a fight to break out or something like that. But, uh, when it comes to going home, my, uh, my good friend, uh, I used to uh, go visit her at night, uh, late at night, and she would keep me around because, I, I, like I said, I don't drink, so I'd stand there, have a Coke or something like that. And she'd ask me to stick around, and then I'd walk her to her car at the end of the night if I was available. And mm-hmm. there were a couple uh, girls that I taught, if, okay, if you have a long distance to go from the front door to your car, hold your keys in a certain way, and yep. watch your corners. You know, just you know, keep your eyes open. What were your? Uh, did you keep somebody around every time, uh, every now and then, just for safety? A hundred percent. So, as a woman, I'm not going to lie. Even outside of the hospitality industry, safety is always an issue. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm even in like the safe neighborhood. You can just never put your guard down. And as someone who sometimes likes to run or go on long walks, I would love to be able to do that at night, you know, like 10 p.m., you know, full moon out, like, why not? And unfortunately, I still, as a 41-year-old woman, don't feel 100% comfortable doing that without someone else with me, you know? Mm. And I think about that all the time because I see men do it all the time (laughs) and and it's, I'm so jealous of that ability to just go and do as you please, you know, without the fear of what I shouldn't do this because of, you know, this and that could happen. And, you know, and having to think about a lot of these things, it's like your mind is always thinking, even if you're not consciously thinking. Um, 
But I really, really have always prioritized safety no matter what. So yes, the keys thing I'm very familiar with. Um, a lot of us, you know, will have mace or um, other types of things on us. I, I What helped me, to be honest, what helped me and still to this day helps me the most is just being very aware of how I carry myself. Mm. So even if I am scared, I always walk with my head held high, with my chest puffed out, and like I know exactly where I'm going, even if I don't. Um, I've been trying having, to figure out how to put that for the longest time, and you put it perfectly. Yeah, having having that energy of like I own the place. Like, don't can I swear on this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna say whoever heard of a bartender like, exactly. that doesn't swear. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. To be honest, um, so like I, I always think like don't fuck with me. Like yeah. I really think that kind of energy when I'm whenever I'm walking, I'm scared. I always like have these like talks with myself in my head of like don't fuck with me. And when I'm giving out that energy, ain't no one gonna come. Mm-hmm. I don't look like I don't look like prey, <laughs> you know. Um, and I taught my daughters that. I've always taught them, like, you walk with your head held high, your chest puffed out, like, you know exactly where you're going. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't have time for anyone. And it's, yeah, it's been a huge thing. Even traveling, that's really helped me with traveling as well. When I'm in a foreign country and I don't actually know where I'm going, <laughs> um, having that kind of energy of, like, I do know where I'm going um, has helped me, has kept me really safe for a long time. But can I say one thing? When you're talking about safety, I just want to highlight something that doesn't get talked about in hospitality enough. We talk so much about physical safety, and I think it's really important um, to talk a little bit about psychological safety. Uh, It's not often discussed in hospitality or restaurants, and it is one of the most important things to have in a workplace. Mm. Um, Psychological safety is when you are in an environment where you feel it is safe to take risks, be vulnerable with one another, uh, make mistakes, give and receive feedback without any fear of consequences to how you're perceived or to the job itself. Mm. And when you have that in a workplace, it really changes the whole dynamic oh, sure. of the way teams interact, right? Um, hospitality is so often influenced by a brigade system type model where you have the hierarchy and the chain of command coming down. Even if you're not in the kitchen, the brigade system has influenced bars. It has influenced front of house service. It has influenced a lot of the hospitality industry. And so I did want to highlight, if you're going to talk about safety, to always make sure that you're including psychological safety in that conversation um, as well as physical. Of course. Yeah. um, uh, I was actually going to touch with you on that a little bit because I don't know anything about that sort of thing. I mean, when it comes to like <laughs> physical safety, I encourage people uh, to know, you know, just watch, watch their corners. I never encourage, I mean, it's their own decision if they want to or not. I never encourage anybody to carry a weapon because uh, it can go completely south and then you can get yourself hurt, uh, hurt more or sure. Uh, or if something happens to the person that attacks you, even though they were the uh, assailant, uh, if something happens to them, it can really screw with your head too. And uh, so I never, you know, I encourage people to protect themselves, but I don't encourage like weapons or anything like that. Cause you know, good pair of tennis shoes will uh, protect you uh, just as well. I mean, but uh, since you brought up psychological, now let's get started talking about not nine to org. 
it started because I was, like I said earlier, having my own lived experience with depression, with anxiety, with substance use challenges, with trauma, with grief, with all kinds of, you know, feelings and emotions. And they don't just stop because I'm at work, right? So we're human. We have human experiences, emotional experiences, what have you. And in hospitality, you're often told to check that shit at the door. Right. You know, I was told that my whole career. And it doesn't work that way. You know, we're, we, we don't get to turn it on and off like a switch. And when you ask people to do that, you're actually asking them to repress and suppress what they're actually feeling. And that has physical and mental consequences, like to your health. Right. There's consequences that happen to your mental health and physical health when you are repressing and suppressing all of your emotional experiences. And I'm not talking about one minute or one hour. I mean, like day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Right. Mm-hmm. I worked in this industry for decades. So it wasn't just like, oh, you had a bad week. Like, you know, keep that you know, to yourself. And again, it's not about sharing all of your details at all either. It's just about being able to show up as your authentic self and be in a workplace where you are supported and where you are connected to the resources that you need. So I always share this example because it's the fastest way to understand it. If I burn my hand or if I cut my hand behind the bar, if I slice my hand open, like really bad, right? You are not going to be the one that gives me stitches. Mm. I would hope not at least. (laughs) If you're in a bar, right, and I'm the bartender, you're my manager, and I slice my hand wide open, you're going to get me to the help I need. You're going to stay with me, you know, and figure out how to get me to the help I need, to the doctor, to the hospital, to what have you. It's the same thing with mental health. If I'm having a panic attack, if I'm having issues with depression, I come and tell you about it. Or if I am experiencing, you know, whatever it is that I have going on, all you're meant to do in those situations is identify, understand, and respond to the crisis situation and get folks to the help they need. You're not the therapist. You are not the counselor. You're not the one providing that kind of help. Um, And when we normalize this in the workplace, everything changes. I mean, this is suicide prevention at work, you know, Mm. because I can tell you from personal experience, like having to repress and suppress for years, turning into decades, it does lead you to suicidal ideation. It can lead you to suicidal thoughts. And all I needed in those moments was someone to just hold space for me and, you know, again, connect me to the help I needed. Um, So yeah, psychological safety, you don't know much about it because the industry isn't designed that way, right? The industry is designed to keep you working, 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 go, go, go. And this whole quote unquote customers always right mentality is harmful. Um, yes. All the employees in the hospitality industry are just as important, if not, I would argue, more important than the customer. Because if you have a workplace where people feel like they are seen and heard and supported, then they will deliver that service experience to your customers. And you see it in research when you look at workplaces that do provide psychological safety and workplaces that do invest in, you know, um, improving their workplace mental health. These businesses have a return on investment and these restaurants and hotels are not the ones struggling with employee retention. 
right? They're the ones that have regulars and employees for a long, long time. Um, so not nine to five started because I saw a lack of that and I, and I was experiencing it myself and I saw other industries were kind of, you know, investing and offering these kinds of services and benefits. And I thought, well, why doesn't that exist in our industry? Mm. We need it more than anyone. <laughs> um, see that, uh, that sort of thing kind of popped up for me a couple of years back. I uh, didn't realize it. it took a couple of family members, a doctor, mm-hmm. a you know, a couple of people to make me realize that uh, I was kind of carrying uh, the weight of other people's problems because I put I prioritized their problems above mine. And yep. a lot of I I think a lot of uh, people in this uh, hospitality industry can be blamed for that because we are used to putting uh putting other people's lives in front of ours just so that they can have a pleasant experience or um you know or they feel uh feel better about themselves but we don't realize what kind of pain we're putting on ourselves and excuse me but that's right um but on the rare occasion you know there are uh would you agree there are moments where say you're you've worked for four or five uh five weeks straight you're a little tired and uh you've talked to people but then all of a sudden the proverbial karen or chad comes in uh uh and you that day you just snap it all comes out all at once Mm -hmm. uh uh what's what's the likelihood of things like that happen uh i mean uh, very high and because we we can all probably be blamed for that just all of a sudden one day i'm i'm done taking any shit from anybody whoever's in my way look out and that's because you've been repressing and suppressing so many emotional experiences like i said earlier day after day week after week month after month year after year so it's like a pressure cooker right eventually the thing explodes And so it's really important to understand the need. And I don't say this like it's a choice. I mean the need to get adequate rest and learn how to take adequate breaks. Because so oftentimes in our industry, even though we're legally entitled to breaks, we don't take them. Right. Right. Or even though we're entitled to days off or, you know, a certain amount of hours should be maxed out. And instead, what happens is you work cloping, right? A closing, a closing and an opening. Or you work doubles day after day. And this kind of thing is what adds that intense pressure. So do I blame the individual for exploding? I mean, yes, all of us are responsible for our own behavior. Absolutely. I also point my finger at the workplace. Because burnout which is kind of what you're talking about. Burnout is a result of a workplace. It is not on an individual to manage alone. It is something that needs to be absolutely taken on by the employer to provide an environment where people are able to flourish, right? And if you're not getting the adequate breaks, the adequate days off, the adequate nourishment, um, all of these things that are super, super important to be and stay balanced and not have that temper tantrum or that blow up, 
um, that is on the employer as well. Burnout has now been recognized as an occupational phenomenon. So it is definitely not an individual moral failure. And it is not something that, you know, you as one person alone can be solely responsible for. The quote unquote blame also falls on the workplace. Yeah. um, The popular term that I've been hearing in the last few years is work-life balance. And so when even working in a restaurant, I wasn't allowing myself a lot of work-life balance because I sat sat back and thought I need to keep working because I need the money to pay the rent, pay uh, pay the car. And then comes up that term of living to work or working to live. Um, and you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you do things like that. And it's it gets scary after a while. Um, like I was telling you, uh, I was uh, having uh, really, I was having problems and, uh, was seconds away from exploding from, and I knew it was going to happen. And so I decided to see my physician about it. I told him my blood pressure's out of control. My hands keep shaking, but the funny thing about it was, well, it's not funny according to the doctor, but, uh, I was sitting in the waiting room. I checked in and I see this kid, maybe five, six years old with this, incredibly horrendous cough for a kid that shouldn't that a kid like that should not have. And the mother mm-hmm. was talking about that. He had 104 degree temperature. And then the nurse comes out and uh, calls me back in into the room. And so mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. The doctor finally comes in and I said, what's going on here? You got a kid out there with 106 degree temperature. And I'm coming in here just talking that I'm like having an anxiety or something like that. And then he mm-hmm. says, Mr. Winkler, calm down. You're exactly where you need to be right now. And uh, it took a couple people to convince me. It's, uh, it's like there were other doctors that could take care of that kid. You needed to be there. Absolutely. That was tough for me to uh, for, for me to accept. I, I think I still have trouble to this day accepting that. But, um, but al- allowing yourself time off that can be because restaurant workers we make so little i mean i've i've only learned and since i started doing this podcast i thought all restaurant workers at the very minimum made minimum wage but i'm hearing about some uh bartenders in new york that don't get an hourly wage they work strictly for tips and i've heard about um uh some corporations that force their servers and bartenders to give either a certain amount or a certain percentage of their tips to like the cooks, dishwashers tipping out. I have no problem with, but when there is actual uh, a chance that you could go home in the negative from working all day, you know, work if, uh, cause you like made a hundred dollars in tips, but uh, you had to tip out $120 to the rest of your crew. Uh, that the story alone stresses me out. <laughs> well, that's called wage theft. Yeah, uh, it, there is a term for it then. Oh yeah, that's stealing from your employees. That is completely. First of all, I mean, as a concept, it is disgusting. It's exploitation mm-hmm. of labor, um, and it's in some places, depending on where you live, illegal. You know. Um, it's really sad to me to hear these kinds of stories. And I know you're right. I know it's true. I know it happens. 
I'm not at all saying it doesn't, but it, it's one of those things that just, it weighs so heavy on my heart because there is so much work to do, <laughs> you know, to think about the changes we need in this industry. Um, oftentimes what happens is that workers don't know their rights. As an employee, oftentimes you're unaware of the fact that you do have rights and that sometimes there are illegal labor practices that you're experiencing and you don't know better, you know. Oftentimes our industry is made up of also very young people, a young workforce. Um, a huge part of the industry is between the ages of like 18 and 25. And that is, you know, that's tricky if, if that's happening and you're uninformed on what is, you know, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Stealing from your employees and being in the negative after working a number of hours. I have such a hard time with that. Yeah. So that I, is, I've had a hard time with just, it since I first Oh heard my about. gosh. Yeah, no, it is. It's the same thing. Have you heard of how like certain chefs and cooks work day rates? Uh, no. Have you heard of this? It's the same thing where whether you're going to work eight hours or you're asked to stay a couple extra hours, 12 hours or 16 hours or more, you're still getting the same rate because it's a quote unquote day rate. And that to me is just so disgusting. It's the same with like the staging practice of basically you're in it working for free, it's free labor. And a ton of high profile restaurants still use this practice. Um, And the thing, the last thing I'll say on what you just shared also is like, I would highly encourage anyone listening that if you're concerned about the potential of illegal work practices or, you know, exploitation of workers or that kind of thing, um, you have to look up to, you have to look into local regulations because everywhere that you live is different every city every state every country is different but um getting in touch with some sort of employment lawyer or employment paralegal sometimes paralegals will help you without charging you depending on if they take your case or not um but finding out you know what what is actually allowed because a lot of times you it gets normalized in this industry and so you think it's it's okay but it's not um what really helped me is when I left this industry, because I kind of did a come and go a lot. I would work in offices and I would also work in bars after work. So I was like doing like two different kinds of jobs in the summers. And being in different industries is what opened my eyes to the hospitality industry and how much change is required. Because I realized that, oh, like, workplaces aren't supposed to be doing those things and that's not okay but I didn't realize until I left the industry so anyways I'm not telling you to leave the industry all I'm saying is like to expand your horizons and have more conversations and oftentimes what happens too is that there's a lot of shame around this stuff because you think what's wrong with me what am I doing wrong Mm -hmm. and I can tell you you're doing nothing wrong and there's nothing that it none of this is on you we tend to internalize these things around when there's like, you know, traumatic events, workplace trauma is super common in hospitality. And we tend to internalize it and think it's on us. And it's not, it's meant your, your employer is meant to provide you physical and psychological safety in the workplace. And your employer is meant to pay you and compensate you adequately for your time and labor. And when that isn't happening, I would say get very curious about what's happening and whether that's okay or not. 
it, it's uh, those are better words than uh, you know great advice than uh, somebody. Not that I'm knocking the people. Uh, I've actually had a couple of guests who have actually made a little bit of a difference. But I think the idea of getting on, making videos and getting on social media and trying to expose these companies on your own isn't healthy. Uh, they, you know, personally, some of them should seek help or, you know, or find out, uh, find out more about it uh, instead of just trying to be the next Woodward and Bernstein or something like that. Uh, uh, I'm that because uh, a lot of those people. Uh, that talk about their lives in social uh, in social media form, you know, something bad that bad happened at work or some story that they remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be healthy for them to get it off their chest that way, but it's not really getting help, uh, in my opinion. What's your well, thought on that? I agree with what you're saying, but more than that, what I think is more important is it doesn't change anything. Right. Right? That's my biggest problem with, you know, taking that route. And listen, if you want to take that route, that's a personal choice. That's up to you. Why I'm saying to learn more about employment law, get in touch with paralegal, learn more about the practices within the state or city you live in. The reason why I think that's important is because it increases our education, information, and knowledge on these topics. And it gives us language for what we're experiencing versus just venting. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when I started to learn more about the actual terms, you know, for my, for example, when I, if I could bring it back to mental health and not nine to five and what we do, what changed my life with my personal experience was getting the vocabulary to express myself and get myself in touch with the help I needed. And the only way I did that was by educating myself and learning and reading and seeking and accepting help. And that is like the most important thing, whether you think you're getting exploited as a worker for your wages or whether you think you're suffering with a mental illness or whether you're struggling with addiction and substance use, seeking and accepting help is the only way through those experiences in a way like it, so that you can empower yourself mm-hmm. because you can go and vent about things, but I don't know if that's very, you know, I don't know if that's going to actually get to like the root of the problem. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that oftentimes we are reactive versus proactive. Oh, yes. And I think just being reactive, inventing, going on an IG Live, you know, and expanding on the cancel culture, you know, movement of fuck that place, don't eat there, you know. Mm -hmm. And listen, I know it's very tempting. I've been used and abused by workplaces before, and it's very tempting to go (laughs) and blast them out. What has helped me more is getting education and knowledge. And what has helped me more is seeking and accepting help and realizing that I'm not alone. And then now what I, can, what I do is I've made it my actual full-time career to now talk about these things and share the information and knowledge that I have um, versus just venting about it. So when you decided uh, this was something that you wanted to do, uh, that mm-hmm. uh, start this uh, organization to... Um, psych not not psychologically help is that the wrong term? No, so I would say that what we do is we connect people to practical education, support, and resources. So we don't actually, you know, provide you with counseling ourselves. We'll connect you to services or companies or organizations that can do that for you. 
And one thing I'd really want to highlight is whether you're struggling with mental health or substance use challenges, whatever they may be, health looks different for everyone. So therapy is for some people, not for everyone. You know, peer support groups are for some people, not for everyone. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can seek and accept help, and it's not linear. It's never a formula. You know, what might help you, Anthony, might not help me, mm. and vice versa, right? What really helps me heal and work through what I'm experiencing might not actually, you know, make much difference to you whatsoever. So I think it's like really expanding your education and your knowledge and getting access to the support and resources that you need. Um, that's really what Not 95 focuses on. It's about helping you learn what it is that you need. Okay. Uh, we don't pretend to know. We don't pretend to know um, what that is. You, but you'll point us in the right direction, or hopefully in the right direction. Depending on, yeah, de- exactly. Depending on what it is that's going on. Um, we've had we've helped businesses um, as a whole, or I've helped individuals. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people can be a little bit. Uh, against certain uh, forms of help. Like, for example, me, I'm not into the hand-holding, let's stand in a power circle. No, that I've already checked out. Sorry. But uh, you might be able to point me in a diff- uh, different direction and, uh, you know, something uh, you find something that'll fit me better. And bottom line, for uh, whatever my case may be. That's exactly right. I think that... Um... You know, it's funny you say the whole hand holding, like coddling thing. I, I totally feel you. That did not work for me either. Um, I remember, try, oh, I've tried so many things in my life to try to get to the help I needed. And I, I think even finding a good therapist took me so long because it's all about fit, you know, and it's all about rapport and how you can have a conversation um, but even beyond that, like even finding the right doctors, even finding the right uh, medication, which again, some people take, some people don't, um, finding different things that really helped me feel better. Um, it really required me to get curious and to have an open mind because I think sometimes you think you know what's going to help you, but you actually don't <laughs> until you try it. Right. So, you know, I, first time I tried meditation, for example, I've, fucking hated it i thought it was the most colossal waste of time and why would i sit here and breathe and focus on my breath and what a waste of time i have a hundred things to do like why am i here get me out of here you know like i'm racing thoughts and like this is stupid why am i like what are these what are these people doing i was so critical and i was so anxious and i couldn't even sit there for more than like i don't know 30 seconds um but over time, now, nine years later, I meditate every day. <laughs> and it's one of the things that's helped me the most with my depression. So I, you know, I think it's really important to try something and ideally try it more than once before you make a real decision. Um, because the brain is not wired for change. The brain is always going to want to push you in what, the direction of what's familiar, even if what's familiar is harmful. It's still going to push you to that because the brain doesn't like change. The brain will always resist change. So it doesn't matter your personality. That's just the way humans are wired. Um, And that's why changing anything is so hard. You know, when you try to change a habit or you're trying to change your relationship with substances 
or you're trying to, I don't know, increase your exercise or eat something different. It's so hard um, because we, we, we don't, we're not wired to constantly make this much change in our lives. Having said that, though, if you can push through that discomfort, um, you can really see a big difference. Now, before we get to last call, uh, now, uh, you've talked about, well, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, psychological safety as you're leaving yeah. leaving work. Now, right before last call, I think this is an appropriate time. Um, do you have any, a little bit of advice or just a little bit of uh, knowledge that you can give these people for, you know, they've had a hard day, there was a fight in the bar or uh, unruly customer how to kind of release that uh, and be able to go home, get a good night's sleep and wake up, not dreading going to work. That is a really, really great question. Um, I think the most important thing when you work in this industry, especially if you're a bartender and you work late hours um, is finding a way to unwind and like decompress your mind and your body because hospitality and bartending, it's like there's chits coming, there's people yelling, there's loud music. Like it's just, there's so much stimulation, right? And so you're so overstimulated. Um, And that's, you know, even if you work in a small quiet bar, it's still very loud to work in hospitality (laughs) between like the glasses and the washing machine, you know, the glass machines and like all these different things. Um, And then you get home and what you're just supposed to like go to sleep (laughs) when your mind is racing a mile a minute and you still can hear the music ringing in your ears. And you like, I swear, sometimes when I would try to fall asleep, I remember I felt like I was still hearing the chit machine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like with the chits coming out, like yeah. I, was, I literally could hear it in my mind. I was lying in bed at home at like four in the morning. Um, it makes no sense. But anyways, I didn't have any kind of practices to unwind. And so what I would end up doing is just drinking too much or smoking a joint. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I would just basically, like, take substances to just knock me out. And that obviously led um, to a ton of hangover. (laughs) And feeling, you know, feeling not great the next morning. So, over the years, I had to figure out and learn different ways to, listen, you can't ever turn your mind off unless you're not alive anymore. (laughs) So, you can't turn your mind off, but you can find different ways to, like, trick your mind and body. Um, so meditation, as I mentioned, was a huge one for me. It's not for everyone. So, um, I would just say finding ways to release that energy. You know, if you're pissed, if you're fucking angry, if you feel like you need to vent, finding ways to get that out, you know, for some people they, you know, write or they need to sing it out or scream it out or punch it or whatever it is like everyone's different and again I'm not telling you to do that I'm saying for you to find what how that works for you yeah, we don't want anybody um, to hurt themselves uh, no but like sometimes people like come home and they work out after they work sure. because they've got that pent-up energy right so if you're into that you know or whatever then I can understand why like boxing for example would be appealing because you want to like get that out and 
but listen, if you're trying to unwind, I would say like deep stretching really helps and getting, trying to get back in touch with your own body in whatever way that works for you. So like for me, meditation and stretching and like yoga and all of that really helps. But if that's not for you, like there's other ways. Some people, I have a, they have a really um, awesome chef friend of mine who's obsessed with baths. Like baths are her thing, post-event or post-service. She would just, you know, take that. Other people, it's music. You know, it's certain music oh, that they need to listen me. to. Yeah. Yeah. And like certain songs will like start to help them like loosen their jaw and like lower their shoulders and like kind of chill out a bit. Sergeant Pepper's um, Lonely Hearts Club Band for me. That was the album for Bad Nights. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, so like finding music that works for you or finding, you know, a, a reading book will obviously like change your brain. It will like take the pace down a little bit. Um, whatever it is, like, again, like I don't want to even pretend to know what works for everyone because all of us are individual, but just a few try to think of like, when was, yeah, like when's out. the last time you felt relaxed and think like, why did I feel relaxed that day? What did I do that day that made me feel relaxed? And then maybe try that, you know, mm. basically what I'm trying to get at is create a pattern, like a ritual for yourself um, of the things that you do to unwind. Because what happens is if you can repeat that over time, you can trick your brain to get tired because then it will start to learn like, oh, these are the three things we do when we're going to bed. And then your brain starts to like increase melatonin, starts to, you know, produce more melatonin in your brain. Some people take melatonin. Again, find what works for you. Not telling you to take that, just saying, you know, everyone's different. But if you can find a ritual for yourself, then you're starting to teach your mind and your body that like this is time to go to sleep. And if it's the same things over and over, your body learns over time. It starts to, you know, understand like, oh, we're doing those three things. It's, it's unwind time. Mm. Um, and so what happens is when you don't have that ritual, where you don't have those practices, then you're just kind of restless, right? And you're just kind of hanging on to that energy. And that makes it really hard to relax. Um, so I would say, yeah, figuring out whatever it is that works for you and think back to when was the last time I was really relaxed and kind of, you know, work back, reverse engineer it for yourself. (laughs) That's some great advice. Thank you so much for that. Now, um, has, uh, we're coming up on last call. And so if you would do me the pleasure of, uh, telling people how, uh, how to, uh, contact not nine to five dot org. And, uh, and you know, the services that you offer and, uh, how do, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, I love it. Thank you for this opportunity. So our website, like I said earlier, is not nine to five.org with a nine and the five being numerical. Um, on Instagram, we're at not nine to five underscore. And we're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can get, um, to us at not nine to five org. Um, on those and where else are we available? That's pretty much it. Our website has everything and you will be able to find access to resources or you can email us or you can slide into our DMs, whatever works for you. Um, But yeah, the services for now is, like I said earlier, we can always help connect you to resources related to mental health and substance use challenges. 
um, depending on what you're looking for. And primarily, we're now focused on practical education. Um, we've seen such a ma- massive transformation in folks that can learn more about, you know, um, what's happening with them and also what happens in the workplace. Um, so a lot of our content has been developed by mental health professionals and education specialists, and a lot of it has also been centered around data. We do a lot of research projects. So although we're founded in instinct and founded on lived experience, mine and my team, um, we really are cemented in data. And a lot of what we talk about is based on very overly researched and studied topics. Um, there's a lot of primary concerns that show up in hospitality. And it doesn't matter if you survey culinary students or you survey industry leaders, you see the same five main primary concerns. So we built a course called Primary Concerns um, to educate you on those. And then we also are launching in the next couple of weeks um, a mental health certification program for hospitality workers and employers. So it's not just for employees, it's also for employers because we understand now through the research that leadership is responsible for setting the tone for the workplace. And so it's really important that everyone that works in the space um, has the same, you know, vocabulary and understanding, education and knowledge um, to be able to improve workplace mental health for everybody and to foster psychological safety. Um, so you can find access to our courses and all of that um, off of our website. Okay. Thank you so much for being on Hey Bartender Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was so lovely to meet you, Anthony, and thanks for everyone who's listening. All right, people, it is last call, last call for alcohol. Finish up your pool game, finish up your drinks, because I'm going to pull them here any second now. Big, big thanks to Hassel Avales for being on my show and promoting her organization, not925.org. It was such a great uh, show. I feel so good about it. Um, Tell me, guys, tell me what you think. Uh, I'd love to hear your input on it. And go visit not9to5.org because if you feel like you're having any problems, they will help you out to help you find where to get the solution or to educate you on what you can do about it. Remember to follow Hey Bartender Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. All of those are at Hey Bartender Podcast. If you want to be a guest on Hey Bartender Podcast, all you have to do is email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. I need guests. I love having guests. This is so much fun for me. And, you know, I get to meet new people all the time and, you know, get to hear new and different stories. That's the main point of this podcast is just to get you people out there, get you promoted, and talk about your life a little bit. That's, you know, because there are other people out there that uh, have sent me emails and messages recently saying that they listened to a particular episode and it helped them out uh in a certain point in their life or even some of these new people that have curiosities about working in the service industry and they run across my podcast, you know, all, all of our stories, uh, either help people or they scare the new people away, you know, which to me, either way is great. (laughs) I don't know why it's sick and twisted. I don't know. But remember, uh, if you want to be on Hey Bartender podcast, message me or, uh, email me, I'd love to have anybody on this show. You don't even have to be a server and a bartender. I have even tried to expand this show 
to anybody that works in the hospitality industry. Uh, I've been trying to tap people that are working the airlines. I've been trying to tap uh, people, well, pretty much anywhere that people where people work in customer service. But remember, the show is called Hey Bartender, and I'm your host, Anthony. You can call me the dude. I'm completely cool with that. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for listening. New episodes every Saturday. And as usual, I wish you all lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness. And remember, don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's let's go? I just got...